Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where we go 365 days, bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast, as well as informing, as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. So within this episode, we are concluding our talk on Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. I called in a panel of David Goose and Phil Gassard to go over the legacy, the manifesto, everything as it relates to Ted Kaczynski. So thank you for listening, and we'll get back on a new topic next week. Known as the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. It's mentally disordered, and mental illness is a legitimate mitigating factor. In other news, Ted Kaczynski admits he is the Unabomber. With blood... 23 injuries, and now a third death. These bombs were now getting stronger. The most dangerous serial bomber in U.S. history. Ted, are you the Unabomber? I thought, oh my God. From the time I was a child, I had this realization that my brother was special. The second professor this week is hurt by a male bomb. The bomb was placed inside a hollowed-out section of a book. Sixteen bombs in 17 years. The case, codenamed Unibomb. I asked Mom, what's wrong with Teddy? Why is he like this? Okay, so thank you guys for joining today. Um, with this being said, I'm I'm trying like a new model for the podcast where I do kind of three micro episodes and then afterwards kind of have a panel to, di- to discuss the topic at hand. And this week, the topic was actually talking about Ted Kaczynski and kind of what has allowed, allowed him to become who he is and looking at his lifestyles, early lifestyle, and really culminating at the point where his whole legacy is really stapled on the um, manifesto, which is the Industrial Society of Technology Future. I don't remember the name of the, I just had flashbacks to, uh, um, anyways, so I'm all, um, and I just wanted to kind of get your guys' gauge on it. I don't know how familiar you are with Ted Kaczynski and his story. But, you know, obviously in the 90s, it was like a really interesting time. And this manifesto was really driving the conversation. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the manifesto. And before we start talking, could you just do kind of like a roundtable, say who you are, um, and kind of give new listeners an idea of what you're bringing to the table? Why is everybody going mute? I'm going to say that. Uh, I was gonna say my name's Sniper from the original um, Top Gun episode that we did, yeah. and uh, my understanding of the manifesto and the Unabomber is, yeah, it captured the nation's attention, and that's about it. And I've stayed away from it, so I'm a willingly ignorant person uh, regarding the uh, manifestos that has never really interested me. So I'm really just a part of this, just to hear uh, Phil get canceled. That's why I'm here. <laughs> All right, Phil. And then, like, what is your familiarity with the the manifesto and and Ted Kaczynski? I agree with everything he says. No, I watched a <laughs> YouTube video 
uh, I, I watched a YouTube video about it last night. Uh, that is, I, I honestly do. I am very curious about the manifesto. I've wanted to read it for the longest time. I, I don't even know how long it is. Um, and, and yeah, so I'm like, I'm vaguely familiar. I also think there was that Netflix show that we talked about at Wingate, like five years ago. I thought it was not good, so I stopped watching it. But I think you watched the whole thing, and that is the extent of my knowledge about the Unabomber. Okay. Well, I'll just like thank you for coming with such um, knowledge to this chat. I'm sure it's going to be very informal, <laughs> but I'm going to give you like a like a probably like a elevator pitch of what the manifesto is and what it meant to his legacy. So whenever we think about Ted Kaczynski, we obviously um, first identify the fact that he was a genius. So his IQ was around 167. And, you know, he went to Harvard at a very young age at 16. Um, there's potential rumors that he had hives when he was two, so he's taken away from his mother, and they think while he was in hospital for long periods of time, he didn't have access to his mother. They think he potentially developed some type of personality disorder from there. Um, and as we kind of go through his legacy, he turns 16, highly intelligent, goes off to Harvard, and there he's potentially a part of a study that develops um, – kind of like law enforcement or intelligent techniques whenever you're doing a um, interview or kind of prompting this this whole process of where he was constantly being challenged. Some people think it could potentially have been a part of the CI study MK Ultra. From there, he kind of studies, he gets his doctorate in mathematics at the University of Michigan, and he's doing publications. And the publications are really niche. Like, not a lot of people like understand it because it's so high level. And then around 1966, he kind of comes to this point where he thinks he wanted to be a woman. So he goes to a psychologist to get an e-valve. And at that point, he kind of transitions, not like transitions in like his his manhood, but he calls it, he calls it the new birth. And what happened is he got really mad at his psychiatrist and he wanted to kill his psychiatrist and then he came to this point where he's going to kill anybody that kind of he doesn't align with or he might seek violence on and at that point he moves to lincoln montana lives for 18 years does 23 bombings kills three people um and during this time he's bombing universities and um airplanes and that's why or he bombed one airplane and that's where the unabomber nomenclature became his name and then from there, he spent 18 years kind of writing this manifesto that was 35,000 words. And within this manifesto, you have different things he's talking about. And really at the heart of it, you kind of open up. And when you start reading, it goes by like one. And then it'll have uh, something he's saying two. And then the first part of it, he's really talking about the leftist party within the United States. And what he's saying is that this party is too extreme and it's kind of like a representation of how they take potential words and build um, it into like a racial construct and how, you know, he's really focusing on like the white liberal rich man who wants to feel better about himself. So he might integrate in different racial constructs. Um, and he's really going into like that aspect. And essentially at the end of the manifesto, he, he calls for a revolution. Now what's interesting about the manifesto is he posted it saying that if this gets posted into a like credible news 
were the um, source to quit bombing people. And the first one was Penthouse. And they're like, we'll post it. And he's like, no, 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 no Penthouse. So, so the New York Times posted it and, and, and went from there. But at the heart of it, it's really talking about how the Industrial Revolution was the downgrade of society, how technology, in fact, is creating a situation where it's taking away from the common man. And his big thought was that the, 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 the modern man has more mental problems than the than the um like the the ancient man the man living in tribes and that technology is the is the reason for that lack of community and things like that so it's a lot more you know he talks a little bit about conservatives but his main beef really is with like the leftist movement um technology things like that and that's why he was bombing universities and um, computer store owners and things like that. So at the end of the day, that's the manifesto and that's Ted Kaczynski, probably in a nutshell. And we also learned that Penthouse is not a reputable uh, news organization as well. Yeah. And... What, what if what if Playboy had offered to publish it? Would he have been okay with that? I'm. How could you not? I feel like Playboy in the '90s was like a rolling. Yeah, Playboy in the '90s actually was a very reputable, and they had some great writers. I remember, but yeah, yeah my dad would always get that and be like, "It's for the articles." I'm like, "Dad, yeah. you don't need a lot." <laughs> but I just think, yeah, when I when I think about this story, I just think it's so insane. Like to be that intelligent, right? But you can't really absorb yourself into society so you move out to a cabin and write a manifesto and bomb people i mean it's like i can't like i can't wrap my head around it like I, to be that smart i'd feel like i would be like i want to be a millionaire i don't want to move to a cabin and bomb people well see wingate thank you for giving that overview because i'll be honest again my understanding has always just been there's this name the unibomb and this guy and i realize now with you saying all of that is he was arrested right in 1996. Was that it? So it's like I was eight years old. So as a eight year old boy, very impressionable. I just like came up on the news as a Unabomber, but then I never looked more into it or anything because I've never cared to. And also maybe it was like I was eight years old at the time. So there's this whole like, you know, generation of folks probably who have always had this idea of who he was, who maybe dove more into him, even though. You know, for us, by the time we were in college, he was and had been in jail for 10 years. Maybe that's, yeah, he's always just been a, almost a ghost around. Interesting. Yeah. And it's like, what's interesting too with the story is his brother, in fact, turned him in after reading the manifesto. So it's like, it's really interesting. But for me in the 90s, like I remember the Unabomber and I remember being scared to go get the mail. Like, I don't know, hmm. but I had like this like very, very oh, like strong awareness of being like, people are blowing up through the mail. This is insane. And so like I've always followed his story really closely because there's like a couple stories in the 90s that really like traumatized me. And I think not traumatized me, but like, oh, this is definitely not a normal thing. You know, what do you got down there? Or like, and I think that that that's kind did of you wait wingate did you ever get him because i'm thinking of the as you talked about the 90s and bombings right you had the timothy mcveigh right oklahoma city bombing you had the atlantic city olympic bombing as well did you ever get them confused 
Because I'm realizing now on reflection, I think I was confusing all of them and thinking the Unabomber was just doing everything. You thought he was like the main I thought he was the main guy. I thought like, yeah, now that like, it shows how little I actually like looked up or even researched him of any sort. But I was just like, oh, yeah, he's that guy who does everything. No, what's crazy about the Oklahoma City bombing is I actually went there a week after it happened because my father was from Oklahoma. So it was another thing I was really aware of. Like, I remember as a kid, like before people put out, before the federal government was there, I like was walking around rubble around the Oklahoma City bombing. And it was like insane. And it's like my dad just let me like walk around broken concrete buildings. <laughs> Remember, you you come from a long family of Neanderthals. Remember, Wingate? That's it's in true. your DNA. That's so true. you're allowed to walk in rubble. We do a little bit of climbing there. Yeah. So, so, All right, I, Phil. Phil, I want to hear you get canceled now. I think Zach covered it. Um, I don't really have anything to add. He was also he was also really sick as a kid. I don't think you mentioned right. He was sick, and he had like medical treatment that was extremely painful and separated him from like all human contact. We're talking like like the very key development age of like one or two years old. I don't know. I'm sure there's a million podcasts about it, but I remember hearing that like at a very young age, he was basically separated, not just from his mother, but from all human contact as part of a really misguided medical treatment to some kind of medical problem he had. So he was set up uh, to be very strange from a very young age. And yeah, he was so intelligent that a classmate said like, they never really saw him as human. He was always this kind of like, almost like a computer or like a, a mathematics machine. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, the only other thing I, I, I would be uh, curious about, if you know, Zach, is who was he mailing this stuff to? Because you said you were afraid of, of getting a bomb from the Unabomber, but I don't think you were one of his uh, were you, yeah were you on his list yeah or was he just like sending it to admissions at the university i feel bad for the admit admissions officer no he was so he was essentially targeting university professors people that coincide with his thought of what the left was like this whole thing and he, and he does an excerpt about how he thinks that people in education are part of the problem because they're tenured right? They can't get fired. They they get to this point, and the Unabomber has this term called the power pose, and the power pose is a representation of, like, almost like being your true, authentic self. So, he's kind of going through this process in, in the manifesto, talking about how people have the need to have, um, I always forget this word, and it drives me crazy. What what is it called whenever a woman holds a baby for another woman? A surrogate. So it's called surrogate habits. And he was bombing people because in society he thinks they're surrogate habits. Now I was just scared because I was a kid watching people get blown up, and I feel like you know I really didn't quite understand the situation. But th those were a lot of his targets because he really thought that technology was going to be the downgrade of society and that society in itself was completely becoming unwound as a result of it. And he was targeting people who he thought were, were, were kind of representing that. And he would also kind of pick them at random. He didn't really ever have like, he would just pick people sometimes random, you know, and, and they happen to also to be a part of that 
you know, but he ended up killing three people. And the first bomb he ended up killing somebody with was a computer store owner. And his name was Hugo. And he created a bomb that was shaped like a log. And then when he went to go move it, it blew him up. And I was like, bro, that is so dirty. Like, when you read the manifesto, it's a coherent thought. Like, if you read it, it's someone who is really well articulated and really well read. Now, what's really crazy about the Unabomber is why did he want to use violence as a means to project his message? You know, he committed suicide last week in North Carolina in prison. And I feel like this manifesto is just going to be a strong part of his legacy. Like, I almost think like 15 or 20 years from now, people will be wearing Ted Kaczynski t-shirts saying he was right. And there'll be like a whole movement that's anti-technology because he wanted to be a neo-Luddite. That's essentially what he wanted, you know. <laughs> well, that's like interesting. I didn't, okay. I didn't realize all of There that. are a lot of people who say he was right. And he did have some interesting points, but he also like, I don't know. I mean, he, he, yeah, like his first, the first line, the, the industrial revolution has been a disaster for humanity or whatever it is. Like, think about everything we have from the industrial revolution. Cause if you're talking just like internet and whatever, which really wasn't even a thing back when he was going crazy. I was going to ask about the technology because he's talking everything from the industrial revolution. So you're talking like eyeglasses. And okay, so he wants thing. to go pre-industrial revolution. Like he he wants to go uh, uh, pre, Yeah, like Zach, I don't know why, you, an, were, why you were afraid state. of anything. He would want to go live on the Wingate farm. Yeah, he would want to be a part of the Neanderthals. I mean, he would like the Wingate farm. That's true. He probably would have wanted to live out there, but you know, it's like, I think what's so crazy about his story is how he would, I don't know, when you read this manifesto now, it like relates to society now. Like there's so many key points like going through it. There's talking points. Now, what's crazy is like I listen to podcasts and sometimes I'll listen to conservative minded podcasts only. It's really not. And some of the talking points from the podcast will be talking points of he's saying about technology and society and the downgrade of it and it's like it's really weird it's weird to be like this man lived in the woods and he was blowing people up and he was able to foresee that technology was going to create more mental health issues and things of that nature and it's like how did he know that like you know i mean but isn't that see i'm gonna again i've never read it but like people and their reaction to technology has always been in that uh, mindset I mean, when the car was invented and what that was going to entail. I mean, you can go through a lot of different historical documents of people always being very hesitant and like worried about what technology is. Is it just that he was more articulate with it, Wingate? Like how he kind of foresaw it? Again, this was in the 90s, mid 90s when he wrote it. So was it mainly, I mean, you're saying it's a lot of pre-industrial revolution that he wants to go to, but he mentions, you said like mental health of like, media yeah he yeah he what he's what he's saying is whenever we use technology he's using technology as an overarching theme that takes people in a way away from their humanity so okay so like the fact that there's no communities being built um men are developing these surrogate habits like drinking smoking and they're being they're being wrongly led by them like even the concept of working is at a point where 
you can do minimal to get paid for it. Like you're not really challenging yourself like the early man did. And technology is creating kind of a buffer, if you will, from truly connecting to earth. And that's why he lived that lifestyle. I mean, he lived on $900 a year and he was really about that life. If you know what I'm saying. And like he, he was, he was constantly writing this manifesto whenever they found him. I think they found something like 45,000 pages written. And the guy was just constantly manically writing in his cabin, blowing people up, like trying to did develop. He, did he have any lady friends? Was he ever bringing like sex slaves and stuff? Or did he, he wasn't like a part of that. He wasn't Ted Bundy and like abducting women and eating. No, and no, stuff, no. Right? He, he stuck to himself. He lived in the cabin. He'd go to the library. He actually told people in town he was a Vietnam vet living off a pension, but his family was really funding him, his brother and his parents. So he kind of was this really, you know, and if people talk about him in the community, like they never would expect anything like this in Lincoln, Montana. Obviously they never do, but, you know, he, he never had like, I almost think he kind of had like, they call them incels, people who like hate women, but I don't think he hated women. I just don't think he knew how to connect to people properly. It's like, I think that he had a real, he in fact had a real disconnect with society. And a lot of the things in his manifesto feels like a projection of what he was writing, like of his life. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things that I, I think that with him, like dying like i wanted to do kind of these episodes well it's going to bring it back up to the forefront i mean again he released the manifesto you said in what 1996 or 95 and it had always kind of been in kind of like a side consciousness almost like a joke and now that he died i think it's going to come back of sorts right because like i mean we're doing this podcast talking about the manifesto and i was like oh yeah i kind of forgot about that thing <laughs> that manifesto still sells and if you look at the google reviews it's like 95 percent and and like i went oh through and God, it's it's crazy like and if you read how the, long is it do you know zach sorry it's, to interrupt it's thirty-five thousand words and did you read every word of it wingate or did you uh list like do an audio of it did somebody record an audio version like Morgan yeah Freeman's i found voice? it on you i found it on youtube and i was like this is three hours long i just kind of listened to some of the talking points of it because you get to a certain point like i i i i, I tuned out when he started saying that working out and playing golf aren't really necessarily needs of the modern day i was like this dude uh, i was like this okay. dude's just a hater i know i was like well, working out's great dude like you can't tell me working out is a what do you call it a surrogate habit i'm like you need to work out to maintain well it, i wonder did he think like no you don't need to work out because you should be working the farm and that's your workout or like you should be working the land See, I would be like, you live in a cabin and write all the day and blow people up. Like, how are you going to judge society? Like, that's a really now like, the, now the real it made me think too. Like, what did what a real sign that he was crazy is like? It doesn't even his bombing didn't even make sense. Like, what were you? What was he trying to accomplish? Did he think he was going to stop like technological progress by bombing one person every six months? Like, it just uh, yeah, just a clearly insane thing that he did. 
but also where do where do the profits go people purchase the manifesto now or is it just free online no i don't know where the profits go they have to go to something like i couldn't track that down but so wait can i i can buy a physical hard copy of this thing yeah, it's like seventeen dollars on Amazon. You're like, how has this not been canceled? Like, I'll what is going? Are you serious? Well, yeah, seriously, dude. conservative authors can't publish on on Amazon, but uh, but Texas this thing. <laughs> That's why, like, when I read it, I'm like, this. There's like a whole world behind this manifesto that, like, we don't even see, like a whole subculture, you know. And it's wait, Wingate. So, question for you, and is. So this manifesto, right, was a very anti-technology. Is this what the movie Fight Club, and meaning the book, was based on? <laughs> remember, remember the movie Fight Club. I mean, this it? <laughs> it could have been um, inspired by it because one thing he talks about too is that the system is conditioning you. It's almost like you know he's saying that the system conditions you to have good memories, good thoughts, and not be violent, and and, and that's not a real human expression like human are supposed to be violent in a way but yeah he was insane to your point phil like but i honestly think he would just do crazy stuff like there was a there was a housing development being built next to his cabin and he didn't want it to be built so he'd set booby traps and try to blow people up who are building it and then there was these people in his neighbor like riding motorcycles and he didn't like the sound of motorcycles and he talks about this in his manifesto where he like he hated loud sounds and he thought people living in like cities were going to be overstressed so he took an axe to the cabin and like destroyed his neighbor's cabin and he thought well as someone who comes from the uh hometown of harley davidson i agree with him 100 i hate motorcycles too so he yeah. was right. Phil, I'm going to cancel you just for saying that. Jeez. For hating Harley Davidson? Yeah, that's that. as American as you can get. And that's Wisconsin as you can get. Jeez, Phil. Yeah, but his voice was also obnoxious. Like, when you hear it, he's like, well, when I live down in the woods, you're like, that's what you sound like? Like, <laughs> like no wonder you moved out in the woods. Like, it's like it's not like a, like a voice that you would expect from somebody, like, who's living life like that. Well, Wingate, my real question, though, is when did he blame the Jews in the manifesto? Because that always comes around, right? He, he never blames them. He never, wow, that's, he never wow. pulls the race card like that. He does say some... That's weird... a real oversight on his part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, Phil. So, like, you never really get that. Um, and just so the listeners know, um, David Guz is of a practicing... He's a are you you're a practicing I, I am of the chosen people. Okay. I'm of the reformed reform world. So there Is we go. I, I, I could I can make that joke. It takes a Jew to know a Jew. I'm so sorry, everybody. I'm so sorry. I should change my last name to Dave Guzman or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, Guz is cool. But that's I mean that essentially that's the Unabomber. And you know, I I think like it's so crazy to me. I mean, the whole thing about 1966 wanting to be a woman and then getting this really like violent mindset and want to live out in the woods because he started sending bombs a year into moving out in the woods. Like it wasn't like, oh, maybe I'll send bombs. I have nothing to do. Like that was his mission the whole time, you know. So what do you got, Dave? Oh, I got I 
I've learned so much, honestly, Wingate. I did not know any of this stuff about this guy. Well, if you listen to the three-part series... I should have. I'm sorry. I should have done that. I also always was confusing him with the shoe bomber, the guy who makes us now take our shoes off. That guy was a terrorist, like, okay, a, like yeah. a, a religious terrorist, and he tried to light his shoe. Like, with a, yeah. like... With a, like he didn't even have a centenary, uh, an incendiary, incendiary. Man, I can't see words sometimes. Like he was lighting it and he couldn't blow it up. It's like, yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, I've, I've learned a lot. I should have listened to the other podcast, but I will go back and I'll re listen to these because Wingate, you, I think your podcast is the one that's uh, truly encapsulating the entire story of the Unibot. I mean, it's really groundbreaking work, Zach. Good job. <laughs> Well, you know, he I think he was he's from Chicago, so he has kind of like that draw that you guys have, you know. It's that Midwest thing, right? Ted Bundy's from uh, Wisconsin as well. Man, the Midwest produces some fine, fine specimens. Well, it's almost like the Midwest. Ted Bundy was from the Midwest. Wasn't he? Was it not Ted Bundy? No, it was Jeffrey Dahmer. Sorry, I, yeah. I got my I got my guys mixed up. Sorry. Ted Bundy just murdered people. Jeffrey Dahmer like eight people, and he's from the Midwest. All right. Well, I kind of want to just, I just want to ask one more question and I'm getting off completely off topic from the Unabomber. I mean, unless you guys have any like thoughts on it. I mean, we can continue talking about it, but. No, I think we're going down deep holes that we don't want to get out of then. So I'm. I just, have you guys been following this David Grush story with the UFO whistleblower? I know there was a UFO or an alien spotted in Las Vegas. I didn't know there was something else going on. Yeah, no. All right. Well, if you guys like the there's a whistleblower coming out talking about how the government, in fact, has UFOs and he worked for NGA Air Force and he actually worked for the Pentagon and everything was approved And you know, his his interview kind of blew up there for a while talking about it. That's kind of like the first highly high intelligent official like high like intelligence official coming out and saying that we do have ufos extraterrestrials and things of that nature i think a podcast needs to be done on it then one day well, i already did a podcast on it and i've been getting like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds close to thousands of views so that's already there but i don't know if you guys it, have been following because like, the story is crazy like whenever you're listening to it and you're reading through the material, it just like was really like it just and you guys have you guys no nobody's been following it? No, I I just know there was an alien spotted in Las Vegas, honestly. So I'm gonna but go and not, now listen to it. I feel like that's not real. Like what you have, that one I don't think is real. I think that's completely staged. Well, I am now queuing up the Wingate podcast to listen about this. Um now here's what's crazy is like I, I that podcast like I never know what podcasts are gonna do well, and I did that episode while I was slightly hungover, and it's like I didn't have the time to really prepare for it, and I do it just reading article and it blows up, and like I'm doing the article and like Natalie's in the background talking to me and I'm like why is it always the ones that like I'm not ready for it to blow up that do really well and it just makes me sound like I'm a bumbling like. I don't know. It's just like really funny. 
it's the charm that you bring Wingate talking about random stuff. Oh wow, okay. Okay, fine. I will read that. I will listen to this. Listen to it, read it. You know, I did multiple ones, and that's kind of where I'm getting into this series concept. And I think next week I'll pick another topic, do the same thing, and do the round table just because it provides some insight and closure to the story. Are all of your listeners living in a cabin in Montana and writing and manifestos? If <laughs> <laughs> no dude because that would require technology <laughs> come on now um no it's like they're right now it's all over the world i mean right now you have people from the uk australia singapore um the philippines switzerland those are kind of the bigger countries um that is anybody from thailand listening you know my thailand listenership has really gone down lately you know we're getting down <laughs> to the one percentile i'm like huh I wonder where my Thai listening base has gone. Your Thai listening yeah, base. I gotta say, it's people are over it here. We've moved on to other things. Yeah, you're not. They're no yeah. longer engaged with the content out there. I have to figure it's, out what to get. It's a very trendy country, you know. One day you're popular, the next not so much. So, oh. okay. Well, I think that kind of sums it up. Thank you, gentlemen. For your time i will be picking another topic next week potentially doing a round table like this same format um i can inform you on the topic if you would like to come informed or if you just want me to talk about it i can do that as well i mean if it's I'll a topic that interests me yeah well, i'll i'll get more engaged with it for some reason the unabomber i was like i just don't feel like reading the manifesto and now after hearing you talk about it i'm like i probably still won't read it but i've learned a lot with gabe <laughs> Yeah, well, let's, you know, and what do you have on that, Phil? What is your closing thoughts? Uh, nothing. I just want to give a quick shout out to Cormac McCarthy. Rest in peace. One of the greatest American authors of all time died this week. It's sad, but uh, he lived a good life, wrote many good books. He was much better a writer than Ted Kaczynski. There's my final thought. And he actually wrote some of his best books late into his 60s. I love those stories. I love when people in their 50s and 60s are thriving in their career. What was like his top five, Phil? Uh, I think if you like among uh, more snobby uh, literary types, you'd probably hear Blood Meridian. I've read that one twice. It's very good. It's very, very bloody. It's about the American West. That's like his uh, first book. I don't know if it's his first one, but it's definitely one of his most well-regarded. And then The Road and No Country for Old Men really blew up. Those were the ones that he wrote later on. And like, I think that's what The Road is when he blew up. That was on Oprah's book club. And then then he was everywhere. And yeah, he also wrote No Country for Old Men, which is... Well, he also yeah, wrote the uh, trilogy of, I forgot the name of the tri trilogy, but it's like All the Pretty Horses. I've read those ones. Right. He wrote those ones in the 80s and 90s, early 80s, 90s. So is, he, is he kind of like, was he like the modern literary, like he was up there like with Hemingway type kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, by the end of his writing style, he like wrote in a lot of prose, so he wouldn't even do punctuations or do quotations of sorts. It would just be very like, you know, he stood at the door, opened the door, walked in, saw the man, shot the man, yeah, walked out. Why did you do that? Yeah, I didn't do any quotation marks. It was, it's a very unique way to Who'd read love that. it, Zach. <laughs> I'm like, I like this dude. No quotation marks, no periods. Just like, did you run on sentences, sentences as well? Yeah, yeah. 
Read it. That that could be your next podcast. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'll be a writer in my sixties. I don't know. I've never covered literary stuff like that. Maybe I will. I don't know. Maybe if it's a topic I can get you guys engaged with, I'll have to just determine what it is. Wait, you asked me to get engaged with the manifesto of the Unabomber. I don't want to get engaged with that. Maybe Phil does, but I have no desire to. You know what, Goose? I think that um, I, I can't argue with that. Because after <laughs> reading it and looking through it and doing the podcast, I was like, what is what is what is this legacy? You know, I just there's also this weird, I don't know what it is, but nostalgic stories of the 90s it's like if you think about ruby ridge you think and it's like i don't know why but there's like watching these like atrocities on the 90s like really had an like an impact on me you know but yeah i digress all right gentlemen well thank you so much um for for joining you know next week i'll pick another i want to cop i really want to find it like a captivating topic to kind of get into also different audiences um if you have any suggestions, please let me know. And the DC yeah. sniper from early 2000s. That was you fascinating know, to me. You know what's so crazy about the DC sniper? I was about to conclude, but I used to work with the guy who worked on that case. God damn it, Goose. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm just here to <laughs> screw things up. Sorry, Wingate. Keep going. I'm I'm going on full-time you. I'm done. No, yeah, but that's it. Like I used to work with the guy in the case. So maybe the DC sniper. Maybe we'll pick something um, out of the, the realm house of 90s socio-psychopath. So something to think about. Looking forward to it. I'll think of something too. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Zach. Not you, Phil. Don't like you. Thanks. Thank you, Goose. Goodbye. <laughs>